Hello and welcome to the next instalment of MediaTel Conversations, a podcast brought to you by MediaTel. Our aim is to bring you the biggest names in the media industry to discuss the most important news topics of the day, as well as allow them to tell their story. This week, the editor of MediaTel News, Michaela Jefferson, sits down with Richard Miles, the founder of the Diversity Standards Collective, to discuss how brands could succeed by creating more diverse advertising. I'm Michaela Jefferson, a reporter at MediaTel News, and today I'm chatting with Rich Miles, and we're going to be talking about how advertisers can and should be engaging the LGBT plus community in the creative of their ad campaigns. So thanks for joining us, Rich. That's okay. Just briefly explain for the benefit of our audience what it is that you and the Diversity Standards Collective does. We set up the Diversity Standards Collective. It's really like a hybrid creative consultancy and research agency, which is a bit of an amalgamation of lots of different things, mainly because about a year ago, I realised that the ad agency specifically was finding it quite hard to kind of speak to and reach diverse demographics. And actually, they needed help and in lots of different ways. So what I thought we'd do is set up an agency that could help in all of those different ways, whether that's kind of internally helping with kind of structures and diversity strategies, or even with creative, the collective itself is actually hundreds and hundreds of diverse people from across the country who are LGBT, disabled, black, Asian and minority ethnic, over 50s women, all different types of people who are ready and waiting on our system to kind of check the work and answer any questions we may have around the creative that we're producing. And it really helps a kind of a two-way dialogue, a constant two-way dialogue to help any brand or agency or publisher make sure that they're getting these communications right. We're going to be talking a lot about, obviously, how advertisers should be engaging with the LGBT plus community in this session. Um, and according to some recent research, 72% of the LGBTQI plus community feel that the way that they're presented currently in advertising is tokenistic. So do you want to just explain what does tokenistic mean in this context? So basically, I think that everybody's realised that they need to include more diversity within their communications. But what they've done is they've it's an afterthought of when they've thought about putting these kind of different communities within it. So the tokenistic point is that you may create an advert selling a product that you're really proud of. And in the production stage, you're like, OK, we're going to need to add some diversity into this. Let's throw a gay couple into the party that you pan around on. Or let's have a mixed race person here or a black person here. And because they're an afterthought, it's very much like when you're watching an advert, you're like, oh, there's a gay person. Oh, there's a black person. Do you see what I mean? So you kind of it ends up feeling quite tokenistic because they're just added in to tick a box rather than actually telling a narrative about those different communities. So why is it important that advertisers are thinking about the LGBT plus community when they're putting their advertising together and that they're making sure to reflect that community in the right way? I think the biggest thing is that it's our job as advertisers to make sure that we're representing the mass market that we're selling to properly. And actually, mass market isn't just white, straight people. It is full of people of colour. It's full of people with disabilities. It's full of LGBT people. So actually, what we need to realise is that it's time we started speaking to our audiences properly and representing the full breadth of those communities and not just selling them one type of story. I always talk about kind of two angles with this because I think there's a monetary value on this and there's a moral point of this. The money side is that we are salespeople. We're glorified rosé drinking salespeople realistically because you know what we're trying to do is we get a brand on board we want to sell more products for that brand and research has come back that you know people want to see more diversity within adverts there was research done that was said that 49 percent of british consumers will actually buy from a brand 
more so buy from a brand that features the LGBT community. And that's because they want to see themselves, they want to see their friends, their family in these adverts too. So feature diversity because it will increase your sales. You know, uh, I was speaking to you earlier about, you know, eight, lots of different advertising agencies call themselves different. And they like to, there's lots of multiple different ways of how agencies are, we're this different agency or we do this differently. And actually doing things differently now is featuring diversity because we've had this sort of white straight narrative for so long, able-bodied narrative that actually by featuring different stories, you're piquing people's interests. You're getting people intrigued. Oh, I didn't know about that. Oh, I remember that advert. I remember this one because it featured this. You know, think how well the Maltesers advert did a few years back because mm. it authentically shared a group of friends and one of them was disabled and talking about her dating life or her life, you know, and everyone was like, that's great. That's really funny. So they remember that. So featuring diversity can help increase our sales. Kellogg's, there's a case study, an advertising website, and the case study shows that Kellogg's did a, a campaign, and in a small part of their campaign, they featured the LGBT community, and actually, they saw a 20% higher engagement rate on the LGBT content than they did on other content that featured kind of their straight, other straight content. So people want it, and people are looking for it. On a moral sense, I think that, you know, the world is changing. The world has been oppressing a lot of different communities for so long now, and that's not the outlook we want for the future. And we have a privilege as advertisers to be able to set trends, you know, normalise things and make things accepted within, you know, not just for this London-centric bubble, but showing somebody in the north of England who may not be aware of the trans community, a naturally authentic trans narrative that makes them think, oh, okay, I didn't realise that was what they were like. Oh, I didn't realise two gay guys could have kids or oh, that's just like me actually you know we want to be spreading those messages to help kind of better kind of our future and I guess on that monetary level as well I assume that what you were saying is you don't just stand to gain money from the LGBT plus community everyone will engage with you more if you're representing more people and you're advertising right yeah do you know what especially Gen Z you know we all know that Gen Z are kind of coming up to be one of the biggest consumers um, ever and they can also consume more media than anybody else I think it's like the average is like 10 hours a day I mean I'm not even Gen Z I'm obviously a little bit older than that my average on my phone is nine and a half hours and that's from going to YouTube holes and different things so we're consuming media but we're also a lot more aware of more social responsible things to do so you know environmental issues and diversity issues these sort of things and Gen Z want to see more diversity in other brands and a lot of other people want to see you representing the breadth of people within the country and they'll respond better to you. You know, if you have a voice, you're respected a lot more than somebody who just kind of sits below the parapet, if that's the saying. Um, <laughs> it may not be, I'm terrible with sayings. And you doesn't have a voice. And, you know, you're not going to get recognised as a brand if you're, if you're saying the same thing as everybody else. Say something different, say something positive, say something progressive and you, as a brand you'll be recognised and probably, you know, celebrated for it. Okay, so let's talk about a brand then that maybe didn't get it quite right, that we can all take some learnings from when we're looking at our creative of our ad campaigns in the future. What is a brand that maybe has tried to engage with the LGBT plus community before and miswired? Sure. So, I mean, just a caveat this on the basis is that I kind of, and I know a lot of the community do have full respect for any brand who actually stands up and stands proud and, and tries to put a message forward that will help better represent 
the community or any sort of community. The disconnect comes when that brand or agency doesn't fully understand the kind of cultural nuances that come with that community. I won't talk about the years of kind of homophobic ads that we've featured. I think there was like, there was an advert which featured, you know, a guy absolutely horrified because another guy got embedded in prison or, or something like that. There's, there's been those over the years. But a more recent one that I speak about quite a lot is Gosh Foods. And I've been actually trying to get in contact with them because I really want to talk to them because not many brands you know, actually stand up and stand proud for a community. Their advert actually featured the coming out story. And it's become kind of a narrative that we're all aware of now. You know, young people come up to their parents, stand there really fearful of what they've got to say, mum, dad, I'm gay. And in in this instance, they changed it and they said, mum, dad, I'm a flexitarian. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, what they were trying to do is say, you know, being gay these days is, you know, it's so okay that actually being a flexitarian you know, is worse. So you can see the strategy they had behind it. But what happened that jarred with the community was that the after effect was that was that the dad actually responded really badly. First your sister, now you. And then it went into, he actually really violently reacted. And that's quite triggering for a lot of the community. Like we've all, a lot of us, you know, a large percent come out to our parents. You know, it's so great when people don't have to come out to their parents anymore, but most of us have to. Most of us spend years getting to a point where we feel confident or comfortable enough that we're going to tell them and our friends. And we're all really aware that they could hate us. You know, 24% of homeless people are uh, LGBT. So, you know, we are renowned to be disowned and disliked for a period of time. So it's a quite triggering thing. So to even to allude to it, can be very triggering and actually it's, it's quite hard and the only way I can kind of relate this to a heteronormative kind of narrative is to say imagine if we s- switched that and that was domestic abuse and actually a husband or wife was about to hit somebody but then they came out as a flexitarian we'd all probably stand there and say hey this isn't right that's a bit on the nose you, you don't really use something like that as a joke and I think it's the misunderstanding that to the community it's as bad as that you know it is a form of domestic abuse when you're treated like that by even by your parents my boyfriend specifically actually had that experience so his sister first came out and then he came out so his mum and dad did react in exactly that same way so he was really really upset by the way that they had just made that like a joke but as I said they came at it from a place of you know wanting to help what maybe the disconnect was they didn't speak to the community first so part of what I was explaining about the Diversity Standards Collective is we put things through research with different communities. So when this all went on Twitter, we decided, well, let's put it out to our community and our collective and see what they think. And they're outside of London, you know, just kind of anyone, any LGBT people from different pockets of the UK. And actually, we were astounded about how negative it came back. So 100% of respondents thought that it was offensive to the community. 100% thought it was stereotypical. Overall, we asked 20 questions and it came back 96.5% negative, which is like, whoa, maybe if they had just asked, you know, not just the only gay guy in the office at the time, who, who obviously his opinion can't speak for everybody, every LGBT person, but done on a wider kind of scale, they may have known that that journey of narrative they were telling maybe shouldn't have been told. What's interesting is that actually the results also came back really strongly in favour of saying, wow, they, do you know what, they represented a mixed race family that was just like mine. So although it came back negative on the LGBT narrative they were telling, they actually told the story of a mixed race family very well. They thought they'd got the kind of setting and the set design really right. They thought they'd got the look of the family really right. So that came back quite positive, but it was probably something they weren't really thinking about as much, even though they were portraying, you know, actually an intersectional family where they were gay and people of colour. So that was really positive. And brand sentiment came out really high. People knew what they were trying to sell. They knew what they wanted to do. It's just that the narrative 
jarred with a lot of people. So I think that's where brands get it wrong slightly is that they don't reach out and ask or they don't do as much research as they maybe they should do. Yeah, because it's interesting when you said when you told me that ad when we spoke earlier, I would not initially have seen why that was such an offensive ad. And we all have these blind spots. It just seems ludicrous that people Mm. don't ask the communities that they're talking about about their own lived experience. But on the flip side, there are some ads that have done it well, some brands that have done it well. What examples of those can you give? There's actually quite a few. I always, we always like to celebrate the ones that have done, you know, done really well for the community. And, and recently, I think we've seen quite a few. There was a brilliant ad by Carling done a, a few years ago, a year or two ago. And it featured a trans woman who was also a football coach. Now, that is like smashing stereotypes all over the place. You know, a female football coach who's not only a woman, but a trans woman. And for a brand who's, you know, a beer brand, that's something that you normally get is you're quite misogynistic. You, you know, you, you not, don't expect it from it. So that was really great. There was a little stumbling block where we did some research and the trans community thought they could have exaggerated and let the, the public know that she was trans rather than just expect to know. But realistically, overall, a great example of good representation. Then we have ads like the Voxel advert and Renault adverts, which portray really like granular narratives about lesbian women who are having children, you know, pregnant, getting in the car and doing that. And I think what I was talking to earlier was about brands who actually, so they actually sell the product and authentically fit in the community rather than trying to put the community in and kind of it jarring with the product. So Mm Talk Talk did a fantastic ad, which was just part of a wider campaign about lots of different people watching TV. And I remember coming into St. Albans Station and seeing this huge 48 sheet with this older gay couple. One guy had his arm around the other one and they were just watching TV. And the line was something completely to do with the channel they watched. Nothing about them being gay. And I just thought, wow, what a great normalisation. Like, that's how I want to look when I'm older. You know, mm. there wasn't this kind of tiptoeing around, are they LGBT? Are they not? You know, could they be brothers? They were arm in arm. And it, for me, it was like a really heartwarming thing to see that, especially when you compare it to, say, the Lloyd's ads of a few years ago, which really celebrated and had these two guys, you know, he said yes, and had them hugging and, and celebrating their engagement. If that is like showing, getting the conversation going, this was just normal. This was just everyday life that you pass by. Oh, it's just a gay couple. Just no, That's really normal. So Starbucks, again, that's another story that was great because they managed to fit a narrative that is really to do with the trans community, which is choosing your name when you transition, that was coincided with the fact of the product truth, which is that you can go into Starbucks and you can tell them any name. They accept any name that you want to tell them, they'll put it on the cup. So it worked really well as a kind of a partnership between them. So it sold the story in a way that consumers completely understood. And Mm. it was just a really lovely way of doing it. It didn't jar, it didn't feel tokenistic, didn't feel like they were just adding them in. Obviously, it was part of a, a wider diversity kind of awards. But again, it, I think it just made it a lot better. So, yeah, overall, I think the best ads are the ones that feature the community, talk about the community, but also selling the product really well. And it feels like you're looking at an ad that's of a normal, everyday person. So, I mean, if you could summarise then in a couple of quick sentences, what is the main pitfall or what's the main thing that brands and, and their agencies should be thinking about when they're thinking about engaging with the LGBT community? Having an open conversation, you know, making sure that if you want to tell a story or you want to tell a community's point of view, you go to that community first and you just touch base. I think we have a very good, very arrogant kind of outlook sometimes in agencies where we want to win awards. We don't want to tell anyone what we're doing because they might nick our idea, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, it's OK to ask for help and it's mm-hmm. OK to say, we're going to write this strategy. Let's write it. Let's see what 
10, 20 LGBT people think about our strategy and they'll help you carve it. And they'll, you know, we all understand how we like to be treated. Even as men and women, we know that I don't want to be represented as a lazy I don't understand anything, Dad. And women don't want to be represented as staying at home, and you know, they're, they're, it's as inherent as that. So I think easy, like to miss the pitfalls, is to make sure you're checking, but also to strategically look at which diverse demographic is actually more appropriate for your brand to sell. So not just saying, "Well, that's trendy. Everyone's talking about LGBT people. Let's do an ad about them." Let's say, "What is our brand? What are we trying to sell? Who was our audience?" It may, and it most often not over-indexes that the disabled community are a wider part of your community because one in five of us are registered disabled. So potentially that's the most strategic way and natural way for you to have a fit with a diverse demographic. So I just think, look at it from those two angles. Yeah, I think that's great. That is great advice (laughs) to end our interview on. Thanks so much for joining me today, Rich. That's okay. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to subscribe for all future episodes as we deliver more MediaTel conversations.